believers is we have a shepherd that leads us every step of the day. And no matter what's going on in your life, you can always turn to him. I don't know how I ever managed without that. And I don't know how anybody out there manages without that either. Either uh, <clears throat> The good shepherd takes care of us. Luke 17 this morning. Luke 17. <clears throat> and we are looking at the return of the Lord this morning. Now, it's a, a detailed passage, and it's a passage that uh, if we go into all the details of it and try and connect up all the details and make them all work out, we'll get lost in the detail. And here's my thought on this. Jesus was speaking to a group of people. It's a short discourse. They weren't actually going away uh, to check it out against other scripture. He had a message he was communicating to them on that day. He had something he wanted them to take away from it. It wasn't uh, a study, although there's a lot that we can study in it. And it's very helpful to us. But he wanted to communicate a truth to these people. He wanted them to understand something that he was speaking to them. Right? So last week we looked at this. Last week we looked at the, the Pharisees asking him a question. Right? Uh, verse 20, Luke 17 and verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And what he wanted to communicate to the Pharisees was something different than what he wants to communicate to the disciples. What he's saying to the Pharisees is, the Pharisees are waiting on this great kingdom, and it's coming. Right? It's coming. The, uh, the, the disciples, the, the apostles have been told they're going to sit on 12 tribes ruling over Israel. That's coming. That's real. But <clears throat> what he's saying to the Pharisees is, it's a kingdom of surrendered hearts. It's here now. It's in, it's in your hearts. If, you, if you're willing, if you're willing to surrender your hearts, it's there for you right now. But then he turns from them to his disciples. And now he's going to tell his disciples something. Now, the Pharisees are going to listen to him, but they're not going to get it. Much of what Jesus said they didn't get. They reacted to, but never got, because they didn't have those surrendered hearts. But now he's, he's telling them that in the, in the first two verses, you need to have surrendered hearts. That's what I'm looking for. That's my kingdom. My kingdom is a people with surrendered hearts. Now he's going to turn, and he's going to speak to his surrendered hearts, or as surrendered at least as much as they can be at this point, because they don't understand again. The disciples don't even understand all that he's saying to them. And <clears throat> what he's going to say to them uh, as, as we go through it here is this. My kingdom is coming. Be ready. I don't want you living like this world is it. My kingdom is co coming. Be ready. Be anticipating the fact that I am coming back. Be waiting. Don't, don't let your eyes and your life and your heart be all focused on the things of this world. It's very easy. You know, this world screams. It wants our attention. And he says, I don't want you to be taken up with this world. I want you to keep in mind that my kingdom is coming, and that's where I want your focus to be. I heard a song this week, and basically this woman was uh, saying that she was leaving her husband because she didn't love him anymore. Right? <clears throat> she just wanted out. It kind of struck me as strange because what's happening in the culture 
at large is it's getting very much more me-focused. I want what makes me happy. I mean, in the 60s, the music of the 60s was different. The music of the 60s was all about changing the world and making it a better place and, and all of that stuff. But the music of the culture has become, I wonder for me. Now, listen, the music of the 60s was rebellious activism and hope, but it was rebellion. The music of today is, to me, right, it's like a rebellious narcissism. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. And the culture is shifting and changing and getting worse. Now, you and I are supposed to be, <clears throat> we're not supposed to love the world. We're not supposed to be attached to the world. We're not supposed to live in the culture. Now, the culture has a much greater effect on Christians uh, than we think. And it's not just in the things we do. It's in the things in our head. You see, worldliness is something of your heart. It's an attachment to the world. The culture very often, by the way, just expresses where people are at. The music just expresses where people are at. They're in that place. But what God wants you is he wants you to be different. He wants you to live in a different culture. What Jesus is talking about in our passage today as we read through it is, he says, I want you to live in a culture whereby you are waiting for my return. You are waiting for me to come back. You are anticipating, maybe it's today. Maybe today he's coming back for me. But you live, now that's a hard place to live because it's 2,000 years since Jesus left and the disciples were expecting him any day. But that's what the scripture tells you. It can be any moment. It could be today. We might not finish this service. He might come back before then. And he wants you to live with that as the dominant in your life, with that as the predominant factor. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the antidote to worldliness is not don't be like the world. It's never a negative thing. Negatives don't work for us. You know, don't walk on the grass. What do you do? Don't touch uh, the, 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 the um, seat because it's wet paint. What do you do? Uh, the antidote to worldliness is for your attachment to be to his kingdom and his coming and his world. And that's a critical issue for us as believers. That's why it comes up so often in Scripture. That's why it comes up so often where we find it in the Gospels. We, we find a passage very similar to this in, in, in um, Matthew and in Mark and in another one in Luke, in Luke 21. And we find it here. We, we've touched off it before in Luke. Jesus is constantly bringing this idea up. Though the disciples don't really understand, they don't get it because they, they're missing a big piece of the jigsaw puzzle. They're missing the cross. So they're missing that and they're missing what he's saying to them. But what he's saying is... I want your focus to be not on this world and on the things of this world. I want your focus to be on me and on my kingdom and the fact that I'm coming back for you. I want you to live with that kind of a focus in mind. And so as we look at our passage today, that's what we're going to look for. That's what we're going to come to because that's what I think those disciples that stood listening to Jesus, they came to. Uh, that place. They didn't understand it all. All of it would fall into place for them later on. 
But I think they came to that place where they understood it's, it's not about here and now. It's about him, his return, and being with him. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at our passage. Father in heaven, would you bless us this morning? Lord, as we look to your word, Lord, help us uh, to take your truth, and Lord, stir our hearts with it. Because, Lord, we're, we're creatures of flesh and blood, and, and, and we walk on a solid earth, and Lord, it screams. Uh, it, it wants our focus, it wants our time, it wants our attention, Lord. And Lord, so often, Lord, we go days, even weeks, without ever lifting our hearts, Lord, from the grind of this world and placing our focus upon you and your kingdom and all that we have in you. Now, Lord, would you bless us? Help us as we uh, look at the word. Help us to understand it. And Lord, bless, use it in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so <clears throat> Luke 17 and verse 22. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. Now remember, he's, he's just finished talking to uh, the, the, the Pharisees, and now he's talking to the disciples. He makes it clear that he's speaking with the disciples. And he says, you're going, you're going to long for the days that are going on right now when I'm with you, but, but you won't see it. And they shall say to you, see here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. They're going to, they're going to present to you other Christs, but don't follow them. Don't go after them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. And you know, when, when, when lightning strikes, it just illuminates everything, and it goes right across the sky, and it's so high up, everybody gets to see it. You see, when he came the first time, he came in a quiet way. You looked at him, you said, him, a king, he came on the quiet, so to speak, and uh, he wasn't displaying his glory. He did the signs of, of the Messiah, but not the next time. And you and I need to have that understanding, and we need to talk about that understanding too, because they think out there that, you know, listen, this is gentle Jesus, meek and mild, baby in a manger and all the rest of it, very cute, but that's not the real world. When he comes back the next time, everybody's going to know he's here. There's going to be no question about it. Everybody's going to know he's come. And he's not coming back the next time to win surrendered hearts. He's coming back to deal with his enemies and take his surrendered hearts to be with him. It's a completely different thing when he comes back the next time. <clears throat> but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected of his, this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the day of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they divided. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Okay, so it's business as usual for the world, and then boom, he's here. That's, that's what he's talking about here. Everything is going along as normal, but boom, he is here. Now think about that. He could reveal himself today. That, listen, it, the, <clears throat> part of the problem for us is that we know from other scripture that what we're looking at is the day of the Lord is not just a day. It's not just a moment in time. 
The day of the Lord is a period, you know, there's the rapture of the church, there's his second coming, there's the millennium, there's the Armageddon, uh, and there's the eternal, <coughs> eternal place then. Right? So, so there's a period involved in it, but there's nothing standing in the way from him revealing himself today. Nothing. That's important that we understand that. And when he comes, it's going to be boom. Uh, everybody is going to know that he's here. Uh, in that day, he which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Now he harks back uh, to the passage he's just quoted from, where he talks about um, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, because Lot's wife looked back. And what happened to her? She got turned to a pillar of salt. Uh, it cost her greatly. Whosoever shall seek to save his life, shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. And I tell you that in that night there shall be two men in one bed, the one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field and the one shall be taken and the other shall be left. And I think that's talking about the, the rapture. Now it does speak to the fall of Jerusalem as well, but I think it's talking about the rapture. It's talking about the fact that, that, that we're going to be gone, removed out of it. We'll talk about that in a second. And then verse 37, And they answered him and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Wherever the body is, there will the eagles be gathered together. First point. These are good days, he's saying to the disciples, while Christ is with them. Uh, they, were, they were enjoying good days. They were enjoying days when he was with them, when, when they could enjoy his presence. And you can imagine that having Jesus in the, in the, in the, in the, in the house, in the room, that, that was kind of nice. The, the, there was just this wonderful feeling of he can handle anything. He can take care of anything. But he's going to leave them. He knows it, and that they don't see it. He is giving them information that they're going to take on board, that they're going to chew on, and eventually they're going to understand but right now they don't understand it because they're missing the cross, right? And um, uh, the day of the Son of Man, he says, is going to be a day that you long for. You long for these days. You long for the days when I was with you. You long for the days when I walked the earth with you. Uh, by believers, listen, don't we long for it? Listen, we have the Holy Spirit. We have so much that God has given us. What a joy and what a blessing it is to us. But don't we long for his return? Don't we long for him to be glorified? For him to be lifted up and for the world to bow before him and say, yes, he is the king. We, long for, we should long for that day, by the way. Christ is not honored in our world today. God is not honored in our world today. He will not be honored in our world today, uh, in our world until that day when he comes in power and glory and displays himself for who he is. Every believer longs for that day. There's something about it that just satisfies a deep need of your soul. Oh yeah, we can get wrapped up in the world, we can get caught up in all these things, but what he's saying is, listen, dangerous and confusing days are coming and you're going to long for a day when I'll be here. Second Titus 3 verse 1 says, This know also that in the last day perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, 
unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. What Paul is telling us there in Timothy is, listen, this dangerous day is coming. I think we're in them. By the way, the last days stretch from the cross uh, to the rapture. Uh, the last days stretch uh, for that period. Now, are we in the last of the last days? I like to think so. I like to think, you know, that it can't get much worse than this. And probably some of you that have looked at it, you, you like to think that too. You like to think, you know, we don't know though. That's the point. We, we, we have been told that day and that hour no man knows. But we don't know. So that when somebody pitches you a yarn telling you, it's going to be, I'm telling you it's going to be on such and such a date, don't believe them because no man knows. People have done that through the centuries. They've, they've said, yep, here's, everything is lining up and we got the numbers worked out and Jesus is coming back on this day and he never did. No man knows the day nor the hour. But <clears throat> what there is in our hearts is, I want that. I long for that. And if you're saying to me, I'm not sure I do. You know your problem? Your problem is worldliness. You're more attached to the world than you are to him. You're more attached to what's happening in your life and the plans and the dreams and the ambitions and the goals and the people. And you're more No, he says, no, I want you to understand this. You should be longing for my return. That's important that we get that uh, in our heads. So dangerous and confusing days would come, but believers are longing for his return. But you know, the world is going to get to the place where it's longing for his return to. Now, they're not going to call him Jesus, and they're not going to say, uh, he's the Messiah coming back. But what the world is longing for even, even now is leadership. That's why you have this rising of strong leaders, you know, in, in Russia, in China, you have these strong leaders coming up and you say, that's ridiculous. Why are these people doing, why are they letting that happen in their country? Because there's a desire for somebody to lead. The world's in chaos. The world's in chaos, and that's always been in chaos, more or less. But oh, for somebody strong who would lead it and pull it all together and, and uh, actually put things to rights. That's, by the way, where they're going to accept the Antichrist. Because he's going to look like he can pull it all together. Like he, he can make it happen. And what the world needs is Jesus. The world needs Jesus to rule. He came. He was rejected. But he's coming back and nobody gets the opportunity to reject him then. Nobody gets asked. When he comes back, he comes back as a king. Secondly, he says this. He says, they will produce false Christ, but don't believe him. And they shall say to you, uh, see here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. Um, <clears throat> David Koresh, Jim Jones, Sun Myung Mung, Moon, uh, and many, many others have all claimed to be the Messiah. Many Orthodox Jews throughout a Brooklyn uh, thought that a Brooklyn rabbi called Mendel Schneerson was the Messiah. And a messianic, messianic favor, fervor heated up in Israel. Yellow billboards were erected across Israel with the slogan, prepare for the coming of the Messiah. By the way, you can actually see those billboards uh, on, on, um, uh, on uh, if you Google them. You can actually see those billboards where they have billboards all up around saying the Messiah's here. That's recent history. That's the early 1900s. 
and they're saying the Messiah is here. And you know what? <clears throat> again and again, Charles Feinberg, a noted Jewish Christian scholar, says that in the course of Israel's history, since the time of our Lord, 64 different individuals have appeared claiming to be the Messiah. You only need to understand that. There's going to be all kinds of claims of different people that are going to be uh, the Messiah. Don't believe them. Don't be surprised when some charismatic character raises up and he looks like he's the, he's the one. And they, and they start promoting him as the Messiah. What Jesus is saying is, don't believe it. When I come, there's going to be no question about it. When I come, nobody's going to be asking, am I here? Don't be taken in by any of it. When I come, uh, it's going to be very clear who I am uh, and where I am. No one's going to miss it. And as the lightning that lighteneth out of one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to know it. Now remember, <clears throat> when he came the last time, he came gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Not so the next time. When he comes the next time, let me read you from Revelation 19, right? Uh, and uh, Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's the Lord Jesus. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When he comes back the next time, nobody is going to have the opportunity to reject him. Notice the armies of heaven are going to come with him, but they're not going to fight. He's going to defeat all his enemies with the sword of his mouth. He is going to come back. He, you see, Jesus is the king. He spoke the world into existence. He sustains the world today. He is the king. He is the ruler of all of it. Doesn't look like it. But when he comes back, he, he's not going to have to stretch out and claim something that's not his. He's not going to have to win a fight to be the king. He is the king. He's just going to claim it. He was the king the first time. But he's just going to claim uh, his throne and all that belongs to him. And he's going to defeat everybody that stands against him, everybody that rejects him. When he came the first time, he was easy to miss. Not when he comes back this time. When he comes back the next time, he's coming back in power and glory to take possession of what is rightfully his. He's going to gather his children, his surrendered hearts to himself, and he's going to destroy everything that stands against him. So, so understand that. We follow a Savior who came Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, looking to win our hearts. And somehow, you gave your heart to him, didn't you? Somehow along the way, he appealed to you and, and you said yes and you gave your heart to him. And you realized he was king. And that's the deciding decision of your life. The deciding decision of your eternity. 
the fact that you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And because you've trusted him as your Savior, when he comes back, he's going to gather you to him. But if you haven't done that, you're going to be destroyed. I mean, we, we talk about the love of God, and the love of God is very real and very true. We talk about grace, and grace is a wonderful thing. God giving us that which we don't deserve. But don't forget about righteousness. Don't forget about justice. And don't forget about judgment. If God has essentially put a halt on judgment so that he could reach out to you, don't play with it. Don't miss it. Don't look at the world and think, oh, yeah, I got time. You don't. You don't know if you'll be alive tomorrow and you don't know if he's going to come back today. So you need to respond to him right away. He's coming back in, in all his glory. But first the cross. First he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. You see, the disciples couldn't see it, even though he was warning them. And he was warning them. He was telling them. Uh, you know, uh, he, he's telling them from Matthew chapter 16. Uh, he's making that message clear. And he's saying, listen, I am going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things uh, of the elders. I'm going to be killed. Uh, and I'm going to be raised again the third day. And we know it. Because when it comes to Luke 22, uh, when when Jesus is telling Peter just before it's about to happen. Peter is saying, yeah, 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 we know that, but we're not going to let that happen. I'll stop that from happening. That's not going to happen. They're not going to do that to you. I'm not going to let that. So he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what's going on. He doesn't understand the plan. Now, that's, that's understandable that they didn't get it. Because what you've got in the Old Testament is you've got these prophecies about Jesus, right? These prophecies about the Messiah. And <clears throat> there is a suffering savior in the old testament we find him in several places we find him in isaiah 53 as a description of the cross but but the problem for them is they couldn't reconcile all that they couldn't work all that because their picture that they had of the uh, messiah was the second coming they, they could see his power and his glory and defeating all the all the enemies and israel sitting uh, on the top of the world and ruling they, that's all they could see and they were getting 12 thrones to rule so i tell you what they were on it they, they, they were looking, looking for great things and expecting great things, so, so they didn't get it. The Pharisees certainly didn't get it. They, they had missed that. It's not that it's not in the Old Testament Scripture, by the way. Somebody said that to me last week. Not, no, listen, the suffering Messiah is all the way through um, the Old Testament Scripture. You I mean, if, if, if your eyes are open to it, you can't miss it. In fact, I read this week that some of the, uh, the rabbis thought there might be two different Messiahs. Because there's one that's power and glory and one that's, uh, one that's suffering. Well, <clears throat> what you've got is you've got Jesus going to the cross and Jesus coming the second time uh, in power and glory. So the disciples don't get it. They're not getting it. They will. God will make it clear to them. They will understand it. <clears throat> now, uh, there would be suffering for him and suffering for them. And they weren't kind of expecting that. And, and Jesus is priming them for that too. There's always suffering. There's always, we're not better than our master. One of the hardest things for us when it comes to suffering is this. We think we shouldn't get it. How many ask, why me? How many people will say to you, why is it the good people 
that, that suffer and the bad people don't. Because suffering is part of it. If Jesus suffered, then none of us are escaping that. All of us are going to face that. So, so you and I need to understand that most of these men that are listening to him are going to die martyrs. They don't get that yet. All they can see is thrones. They're going to die. And he's, he's, he's preparing them for it. And he's preparing them for it. And, and it's, it's like, <clears throat> you, you know, you're training a child and you're telling a child something and, you're, and you know the kid's not getting it. Because right? how many things did your parents tell you and you didn't get it? And then later on, oh, I wish I'd listened to what mom and dad had to say. <clears throat> I, wish, I wish I'd listened to my teacher in school. How many times are we told something and it doesn't connect for us, but later on it does? That's what Jesus is doing for these guys. Now, it's going to be hard for them, but they're going to get it in the end. They're going to, they're going to come to the place where they understand it, uh, where they understand it. And you and I need to understand that too. No, we have never does Scripture give us uh, a release clause from suffering and pain. It's going to happen for all of us. We need to have our heads in the right place as far as that's concerned. If, if, if they did those things to the master, do you really think they're going to treat you that much better? We get so indignant, don't we? Because they don't treat us with the respect that they ought to treat us with. Well, if they didn't treat Jesus with that respect, how do you expect them uh, to do it for you? And then he talks about the conditions when he returns, right? <clears throat> now, let me read it quickly for you again. And as it was in the days of Noah. Now, what was happening in the days of Noah? Well, God was fed up with the world. He had decided that the world was a wicked place and that the, uh, the thoughts and the intents of man's heart was only wicked continually, so God said, I'm going to wipe them all out. But Noah found grace in God's eyes. So what did God do? God said, okay, Noah, I want you to build me an ark. 120 years, Noah's building this boat. By the time he's finished building it, there's eight people on it, his family. Nobody else has listened. Everybody else is just going about their lives, doing their things. Noah's got this huge big boat on his driveway. He's, he's building it for 120 years. He's bringing in timber and all kinds of things to build this boat. And um, they're looking at him and they're thinking, what is that guy on? He's a, some kind of religious nut. They're just carrying on with life. Until the day it began to rain. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden everything changed. All of a sudden, that boat was the only safe place on the whole planet. Right? <clears throat> so in the days of Noah, they're just living, they're just doing their thing, they're just going. He's preaching, he's telling them, listen, turn from your wickedness. And they're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that what's happening today? Isn't that what's happening today? Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we know. Yeah, someday maybe. Yeah, yeah, we'll think about that. <clears throat> Same as in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Now, by the way, none of the things he mentions there are bad things. They're all good, normal things. What he's saying about this day is that it's going to be business as usual. It's going to be carrying on life just as usual until the day that Noah entered the ark and the floods came and destroyed them all. Likewise also was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. 
But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, God could have talked about their wickedness in Sodom, but he doesn't. He talks about the normal things they are doing. What, why, what is Jesus trying to communicate to the disciples? He's saying, listen, it was business as usual. Until the heavens started raining fire. And they all died and they were all burned up. What's he saying? He's saying, in the world, it will be business as usual. When I come, it's just going to be, there's not going to be this, this long lead up to it where everybody kind of sees it. No, it's going to be business as usual. It's going to be boom. It's just going to happen. All of a sudden, catastrophic judgment comes in a moment when least expected. Catastrophic judgment. That's what it is in these two cases. That's what it's talking about uh, when Jesus comes. I want you to notice this, though, too. God delivers his people in both cases. You know the story uh, of Sodom? Uh, in Genesis chapter 18, that's be just before Sodom, the angels go and they visit Abraham, and he's talking to the Lord Jesus again. It's a, it's a Christophany. And he's talking to the Lord Jesus, and um, they, they tell him what they're going to do. Shall I hide from Abraham that which I'm going to do uh, with Sodom? We're going to go destroy it. And Abraham says, oh, my, my stupid nephew lot i told him not to but he's living there he's going to get destroyed too so so abraham begins to barter with god like out of those 50 there you wouldn't destroy for 50 would you if there was 50 righteous people uh in sodom you wouldn't destroy it and and, and jesus says no i'm going to get 45 and 40 and it goes on down to well if there was 10 but abraham in the midst of it all says this that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You know, here's the thing. God's going to judge the world for wickedness and sin, and he's going to pour out wrath on the world. You read the book of Revelation. No horror story that you've ever seen on TV can match anywhere near what happens in the book of Revelation. God is going to pour out wrath on the world, but you know what he's going to do? He's going to lift us out of it before he does. He's going to take his children to be with him before he does. We, we, we call that the rapture. Well, God takes his children to be with him. Why? Because my sin is paid for. Not by me. Jesus paid for it. You can't, God doesn't do double jeopardy. Well, I'm going to pour out my wrath on you, even though my son paid the price for your sin. No, my sin's gone. It's wiped away. And as, as unreal sometimes as it seems, there's going to come a day when there's going to be a trumpet sound and you're going to be lifted out of this world if you're his. And you're going to go to be with him. Now, here's the question for you, though. Are you in the place like Lot's wife where what you want is on this earth? That which you're looking for, that which you love, that which you're attached to is on this earth. Because what he's saying to you is, listen, it can be any moment. It can be any moment. I want your attachment with me. That's the whole point of this passage. Jesus wants us 
to live attached to him, not attached to the world. Jesus wants his children living uh, in a way where we're actually attached to him. And then he says, be ready, because it will all happen very quickly. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And He that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Uh, Remember Lot's wife, he says. Think about this. Now, folks, if you're saved, you're born again, you're going to get raptured, right? Uh, You're his child and you're going to be with him because your sins are paid, paid for. If you're not, you're going to be left here in that day. And nothing has to happen before the rapture happens. That's the next event on God's prophetic calendar. Nothing, we're not waiting for anything to happen for God to do that. That's why the, the, the teaching on waiting on the Lord, there's, there's no barrier to it now. But if you're not his, if you're not born again, you get left behind. Now, you don't get left behind to go through life as it is now. Read the book of Revelation. You get left behind to face the judgment of God, the wrath of God in its fullness being poured out on the world. You need to run to Christ. You see, like the people in the days of Noah. They said, ah, come on, yeah. I mean, yeah, he talks about sin and God and all the rest of it. Well, we, we've never seen that, so you know what? We're, forget about that. Like in Sodom and Gomorrah. All of a sudden, the heavens opened and it rained fire and brimstone. Listen, it's real. It happened. <clears throat> God destroyed the world apart from eight people and rebuilt the world from those eight people. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and all the area around it. Listen, God deals in catastrophic judgment. Don't be lulled into complacency because you live in this wonderful, beautiful day of grace. You need to run to him now if you're not his. Don't be loaded to complacency thinking, well, I was raised in a Christian home. I must be a Christian. You don't become a Christian by being raised in a home. You become a Christian by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, by recognizing, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. But Jesus is the Savior, and he died to pay the price for my sin. And if you haven't come to that place You need to run to him and come to that place because when it goes down, it will all go down very quickly. And I think you're going to get saved in the tribulation, but I think it's going to be very hard. I think for somebody to get saved and know it's going to cost them their lives, I don't know how many people will be willing to do that. And it can happen in a moment. It can happen in a heartbeat. And for those of you who are believers, understand this. Everything you have gets left behind in that day. Absolutely everything. That's that's why Jesus says in the middle of it all, uh, and whosoever shall uh, lose his life, uh, sorry, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, seek to save his life shall lose it, uh, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Because the reality is everything you have, your goods, your money, your car, your house, your people. Everything you have gets left behind in that day. Now, some of them you'll meet in heaven, some of the people you'll meet in heaven. But you can spend your life making something happen in this world. 
And one day, in a moment, you'll be lifted out of it and you'll leave it all behind. So what's he saying? He's saying, don't focus on that. Focus on me and my kingdom. That's where you're going to spend it forever. Don't focus on the things down here. Don't let the things down here be, the, be that which drives you. Don't let the things down here uh, be that which is most important to you. Understand, listen, you're leaving all this behind. You're going to walk away from all this. And then, <clears throat> when it happens, you will see it. This is a difficult saying to, <clears throat> to, to understand. And it seems like it's the picture of Armageddon, but there's problems uh, with that. But I think here's what Jesus is saying to them. He said, you'll know it when it happens. You will know it when it happens. There's going to be no, there's going to be no guessing it. Uh, you'll know. When all this happens, you're going to know. There's, it's not going to be, you know, you know like so many events in the, in, in the world happen and people say, I wonder is this uh, the, <clears throat> the beginning of the Lord coming back? I wonder is this. He says, don't worry about it, guys. When I do it, you'll know. You won't be wondering about it. You won't be questioning about it. You'll know. You'll know what's going on. So <clears throat> let, let me try and pull it together for us really quickly here, right? <clears throat> he is coming back in great glory with power and glory. He's coming back. He's not done with this world. Uh, he came once uh, as gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but when he comes back, he's coming back as the judge of all the earth with all the power and authority, and he's going to display all that glory. Everyone will see it. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Those people that scorn you today because you're a Christian and laugh at you and think you're a fool for buying into this, they will bow before him. They will bow before Every knee is going to bow. For believers, it's going to be a blessing and a crown for those who are waiting for him. Those whose hearts are knit with his, those who are living, waiting on him to come. It's going to be a blessing and a crown. For those who reject him, it's going to be catastrophic judgment. I mean, read Revelation. Don't read it before you go to bed at night because you won't sleep. Read it and, and let it sink in. A quarter of the world dies and a third of the world dies. And people are, are, are in agony wanting to die, but they can't die. Read Revelation. I'm telling you, it's a horror story like none other. Except the horror stories you read are made up, but this one's real. This one's going to happen. But <clears throat> the point is, he wants you to run to him right now. Today is this glorious day of grace this glorious day when the arms of God are wide open waiting for you to come to him run to him come to him, recognize your sin understand you offended against a holy God understand that because you've offended against a holy God you are guilty and you deserve judgment but oh Jesus came for people just like you and I he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came not to condemn men, but that men might be saved and run to him and trust in him and make him your savior because he's the only one that can save you. And then believer, 
Are you actively waiting for his return? 2 Peter 3, 8 through 12. We're not going to read it because of time. <clears throat> but it talks about Jesus coming as a thief in the night. And then it says this. What kind of people are we supposed to be then? In all holiness and godly living, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of our Lord. We're supposed to be eagerly anticipating that day. You're supposed to wake up in the morning and think, is it today? Will he come today? You're supposed to be anticipating it. Do you think that would affect your plans? Do you think that would affect the way you live? Lord, is it today? Do you think you wouldn't be, there's some things you wouldn't do, but what's the point? He might come today. Do you think there are other things you might prioritize because he might come today? That's the way Jesus wants you to live. That you say, well, then I'll be no earthly good. No, listen, you'll be the most earthly good you can possibly be. Because the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He'll take care of the rest for you. You just put him first and seek him first and make his kingdom that which you're seeking. And he will work the rest out. But you know what we got to do? we got to detach ourselves from the things of the world. We've got to pull, pull ourselves away from those, and we've got to make our focus. We've got to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And when we do that, something marvelous happens. Something marvelous happens. We become attached to him more than we are to the world. We begin to live for him. Live life on purpose. Live a life that counts. But you have to come to that place where you make him number one. See, when the Bible tells us that shalt love the Lord God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind, it wasn't just a hopeful suggestion if you could do this. It's the way God wants you to live. How are you going to live that way? Start watching for his return. Start waiting for him to come back. Start living with an eye on heaven, waiting for him to come back, waiting for your real life to start with him. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you uh, for truth that speaks to us through the ages. Now, Lord, let us not get lost in the detail of what we heard, but, Lord, let us come to that place, Lord, where the one that's not saved runs to you for fear of judgment, for fear that it's coming, it could happen any moment. And, Lord, where your children live lives, Lord, that are focused on your return, that are waiting for you, that are longing for you, Lord. And, oh, Lord, may we enjoy a crown with you in glory because we were waiting for you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.